glad you're here tonight and uh, the first Wednesday night together this new year. And we're going to start a new study on Wednesday nights in 2 Peter. And so if you want to go ahead and take your Bible and turn over to 2 Peter, that'd be great. Take a little bit of time tonight to introduce the book to us and uh, then we'll just get into the first couple of verses this evening in our time of Bible study. And uh, we want to make sure we leave plenty of time for prayer tonight, lots to be praying about. And uh, I spoke with uh, Joe Palacios on the phone today and uh, keep praying for Sylvia as she is going to be having surgery soon, it looks like, I think on her ankle. And then her, her uh, mother had a good knee replacement surgery yesterday, but she's recovering from that as well. And uh, went by and saw Linda today and, and uh, she's still kind of getting her strength back some. She had been in the hospital a few weeks ago and so went and took her some soup today to check up on her. So just pray that the Lord would give her strength. And Joe was very thankful. Several people in the church, she said, had stopped by and dropped some meals off for them and just encouraged them. That had been a blessing. And so thank you for doing that. And uh, glad that we're starting off Awana again here uh, tonight. Lots of boys and, and girls in there. And I know they're enjoying their time together as they uh, begin their program for the new year as well. In the book of 2 Peter, uh, he really focuses on a number of different types of words. He has words for the faithful. He has words for the unfaithful. He, has, he speaks about the words of the false teacher. Words truly are the currency of civilization, aren't they? Uh, the words are so important. They have a powerful effect on daily life by challenging, confronting, or, or comforting the hearer. And Peter here is near the end of his life as he wrote this letter, this second letter that he wrote here to first century Christians. And he's warning them of the danger that they were in from those seeking to destroy the church of Jesus Christ with corrosive words. He has a lot to say about the false teachers. And today, I think the church in general, I'm using that in a very general sense, but even in a specific sense in our local church, we must always be careful about the danger of being marginalized through secular thought and practices, that somehow the church no longer has a purpose or no longer has value in our culture today. And I think it's important that God's people hear what the Spirit is saying through 2 Peter and take to heart its profound, profound message. Peter wrote this letter really to counteract the activity of false teachers who had infiltrated the various churches within the Roman Empire. And they were doing great damage by using cunning words to deceive and to distort the truth. In the book of 1 Peter, Peter speaks a lot about the dangers of things going on outside of the church. And the response to that was for the church to unify and be strong together to ward off the attacks from outside. But these false teachers were those who were bringing problems from within the church as they tried to distort the truth. And so it's therefore of vital importance to notice the different kinds of words that he speaks about here in 2 Peter, both human and divine, that are emphasized in this letter to an extraordinary degree. I'll give you just kind of a brief outline of 2 Peter uh, before we get into our study tonight. In chapter 1, we see him speaking about the great and precious promises 
found in God's Word. Chapter 1, verse 4. Chapter 1, verse 16, he speaks about various fables, stories, myths that were being propagated to people. And then in verse 19 of chapter 1, he talks about the word of prophets that was made certain. They could be confident in the words that were spoken to them by the prophets, and they could be confident in it because it was being confirmed by what had come to pass. And then he speaks in chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Of course, if you've studied anything about the inerrancy of Scripture and the inspiration of Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 are very important verses that speak about prophecy and Scripture and how we got the Word of God and how we know that it truly is the Word of God. And in chapter 2, Peter refers to words of preachers in verse number 5. Verse 10, he speaks about the words of slanderers, people that would tear down with their words. In verse 12, he speaks about words of blasphemy, people that would speak out and, and say false things about God. Verse number 16 of chapter 2, he refers to even the use of a man's voice and how it should be used. In verse 18, he speaks about a mouth that's full of empty, boastful words. You can see he references words quite a bit in, first Peter, or in 2 Peter. And then in chapter 3, Peter continues in the same vein, teaching his readers many valuable and eternal lessons, showing how important God's words are to him the great preacher and writer, and by implication, how important God's words must be for all of God's people. If they were important for Peter, then they would be important for all of God's people. If, the, if God's people are going to be able to withstand the assault of false teaching that we face in every age, not just in Peter's time, but even today as well. So, as we begin this study tonight, this is going to be just more of an introduction into the book, but let's look at verses 1 and 2 as we see his opening words of the letter. The opening words of any letter are important because they often tell us who the recipient of the letter is, tell us a little bit about the author of the letter, and help us to understand his intent or his purpose in writing that letter. Verse 1 says, Simon Peter a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Father, as we look just at these two verses tonight, as we're beginning a study in this book, pray that you'd guide and direct our thoughts or challenge us even with these simple things tonight, that we would go from here purposing to live in obedience to your word. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Here in verse 1, we are introduced to the author and we're given the author's credentials. Notice he says, Simon Peter, and his first credential that he lists before any other, before he could have called himself, as, as some churches would teach, that he was the vicar of Christ, or that he, some would think that he could call himself something of great importance. He begins by calling himself a servant. It's very important. 
Because a servant listens to the word of his master. The servant is there to obey. He is one who does not get to do his own will, but rather is there to perform the will of another. And Peter, as he begins this letter, as he's writing to believers all around the Roman Empire, he's saying to them that he comes to them as a servant. His name in and of itself is very interesting. If you go back and study in the Gospels, the name for Peter, Simon Peter. Simon is from the Hebrew name Simeon, which meant that God is heard. And Peter, of course, means stone. But this is not the cornerstone of the church. Rather, he was just a little stone. Jesus Christ, in fact, is the rock, the foundation on which the church was planted and begun and continues to grow. Psalm 18.2 says it very simply, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I love in Matthew where we read the passage where it talks about the wise man who built his house upon a rock. Simon Peter was not that rock. Simon Peter was rather just one who was, first of all, a servant. Jesus Christ is the rock. Even though Peter was the leader at the church of Jerusalem, and even though the, that Peter was the one Jesus was speaking to in Matthew 16, when he said, Upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, Peter is not making any claim to anything greater than being a servant. Here in his opening words of his letter. He declares himself to be subject to Christ. And yet while he was a servant, he also says he was an apostle. He was an apostle. In other words, he had full authority to, to declare the message of Almighty God. God had given him this authority. And an apostle, we know from our study in the New Testament, is known by special abilities. Not only had they seen Christ, but they had special abilities to carry out the message that God had given them to carry out. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, says this, Truly, the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. The apostles were known by their signs, by the wonders, by the miracles that they did that gave evidence to the truth that they spoke. God gave them special power, not just so they could show off, but rather to prove that the word that they were speaking was authoritative word of God. So it's very comforting as we begin this letter to know the credentials of this author that he's presenting himself as being one who's humble, but one who has the authority to speak because he's speaking the words of God. And he's a reliable instructor that we can be willing to listen to, a reliable yet humble teacher for us. So we notice first the author's credentials. The next thing we see here is he speaks about the recipient's the recipient's experience here. Notice at the end of verse 1, after he introduces himself as a servant and an apostle, 
of Jesus Christ, he then continues on. He says who he's writing to. To them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. <coughs> Who's he writing to? Well, he's writing to those that are believers, right? To those who have obtained like precious faith. I think it's wonderful because here's Peter writing. He's an apostle. He had walked with Jesus. He had even walked on the water. Here's a man who carries a lot of clout wherever he goes. And he's the leader of the church at Jerusalem. He was the leader in many respects for the 12 disciples that followed Jesus. And so Peter's writing. And so instead of just emphasizing how great he is, he begins by emphasizing himself as a servant. But then he says who he's writing to. He says to those of you who have obtained like precious faith. In other words, you've obtained the same faith that I've obtained, Peter say. I'm not any better than you. I, I have the same faith that you have. You can have the same faith that I do. That's encouraging, isn't it? To know that you could have the same faith that Peter had. The, the same faith that gave him the ability to walk on water, to be able to see God do the great works that he did through him. Because it wasn't Peter and his strength that did those wonderful things. Rather, it was God working through him. And he's saying... I'm writing to those who have obtained like precious faith because his faith wasn't in himself. Notice it was through the righteousness of God, which is, in, I'm sorry, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So the recipient's experience here, it's, it's those who have obtained faith. This is a faith that Peter had obtained, and it's a faith that all who believe in Jesus Christ have obtained. But notice the focus of the faith. This is faith not in ourselves, not in any other person other than the person of Jesus Christ. And it is not through our work, not through our righteousness, which of course we know is as filthy rags, but it's through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. As He lived a perfect, righteous, holy life, God truly in human flesh. So this is a wonderful faith. It's a faith that can be obtained by all who trust and believe in Jesus Christ, who confess and forsake their sin and call upon the Lord for salvation. They have this same faith. This is not just speaking of the saving faith, but rather the faith that we continue on as we walk by faith. And we'll see that as he gets down into verse 2 a little more and, and talks about some of the experiences or desires and purposes that he has for the believers. Let's look at that in verse 2. He says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus, Jesus our Lord. I see three things here in Peter's desire for the recipients. The first is, of course, he desired that they have grace, that they receive grace. Grace is a gift. It's the source of joy that's unique and comes only from God. True grace, the source of unique joy and pleasure. Peter knew the grace of God in his own life, right? 
Well, we can think of some great things of Peter, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, the man who preached on the day of Pentecost, the one who walked on the water. Remember, he was also the one that denied Jesus three times the night of his crucifixion. So here's a man who has experienced, I think, in a great way, the grace of God. It was something that he experienced. It was something he knew, and he wanted the people, the recipients of his letter, the hearers of this truth. And I would say even for us today, it's applicable that we would receive and understand and know and experience the grace of God. He says grace and peace. When we are reconciled to God through faith by Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. And as a result of this, we're able to have the peace of God. Right? When we're at peace with God, we can experience the peace of God that gives us the ability to continue on through very difficult situations and circumstances. I tried to combine those two words right there. Did you hear that? It didn't come out very well. But as we understand the grace of God, that God has given to us this free gift of salvation through what Jesus Christ did on the cross and dying for our sins, and as we trust in Him for salvation, we receive the grace of God. And that grace of God, even as we talked about Sunday, then helps us even as we live day by day, walking in obedience with Him. God continues to pour out His grace upon us. And as we walk in that, we experience then His peace. Because when we have peace with God, we experience and know the peace of God. But then he says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you, notice, through the knowledge of God. Sometimes I think grace and peace are just sort of these random ideas out there that seem very, um, not very tactile. You can't grab onto them, can't hold on to them. It's just this nice thought. It's a nice idea. Peace and grace but he gives us some, some feet to this, a, a way to, to tie this down in our minds and know how we can go about having that. And he says it's through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, it's very important here to understand what he means by knowledge because in the New Testament there are two different words that are translated knowledge. I remember when I was studying Greek in college, this jumped out at me because in high school I studied Spanish. And if you've studied any Spanish, you know there are two different words that mean to know in Spanish as well. Right? There's, there's the word that means to know, like you know facts about something, you know truth of something. And then there's a word that means to know that speaks more of an experiential knowledge, like you know somebody personally. Like if you were to say, do you know who the governor of Texas is, a lot of people say, yes, I know, it's Governor Abbott. But if I said, do you know Governor Abbott, probably that'd be a much smaller group in this room tonight. Maybe none of us know Governor Abbott. I know I don't know him. I know who he is, but I don't know him personally. And for many people, they know things about God, but they don't know him personally. And this word that's translated knowledge, it's a good translation 
but our English language kind of falls short in helping us to fully understand what this is talking about. This isn't just knowing facts about God that we've studied our Bible for a really long time. Even though that's important in this process, it's getting to know God experientially. It's walking with God and experiencing what it's like to have His transforming power in our lives. I always enjoy going out and sharing the gospel with people. But it's interesting when you go out and talk with people about the Lord, you many times will run about or across people that know a lot about God. They can quote Bible verses to you. Some of them even grew up in church. They may have experience as far as what they know, but they don't really have experience living in a personal relationship with God. See, knowing God begins as we study His Word, but then knowing God experientially only comes truly through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If that personal relationship that we've actually put our trust in Him and we begin to walk in obedience to His Word and keeping and trusting in His promises, He gets into that in the next few verses. That'll be for a, a later week. But trusting in His promises and knowing what He's promised and experiencing what it means to walk with Him day by day, only then can we better understand what it means to receive the grace and peace that come from God. He says, it's through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I think that's important because how do we get to know God personally? It's through Jesus. That's why God sent Jesus to be with us. That was God with us, Emmanuel, God in human flesh. That's why Philippians 2 talks about Him coming and being in, in the form of a servant made in the likeness of man. He came to dwell with us so that we could experience a personal relationship with Him. Not just because He was physically in our presence, but also because through His death, burial, and resurrection, He made it possible for all of us to experience a personal relationship with God. Some got to see Him and talk to Him and walk with Him and touch Him. We don't get to experience those kinds of things, but we can still experience a personal relationship with God because of the work of Jesus Christ who paid our sin debt for us. So Paul's desire, his purpose for the recipients of this letter, which I would include us in those recipients because here we are reading it tonight, is that they would know and understand and receive the grace and peace of God that only comes through a personal relationship with God that is through Jesus our Lord. I look around tonight, I, my assumption is that most, if not all of us in here tonight do have that personal relationship with God. But he's not writing specifically to unsaved people here. He's writing to believers. We already know that because he said he's writing to them that have obtained like precious faith. This is something that's already happened. So he's writing to those who have believed. So if you're a believer tonight, if you're a, a child of God, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, this is for you. Saying, continue to grow in your knowledge, in your experience of who God is and how He works in your life. And yes, that happens as you study His Word and you get to know Him better. But then it's like what we were talking about if you were in my class Sunday night. It's then taking our knowledge of 
who God is based on what the Bible says and applying that knowledge in our lives, applying it in daily obedience. And that's how we truly experience what it is to know and have the knowledge of God through Jesus our Lord. And only then can we experience the grace and peace. So I would challenge you tonight, if your life, you don't feel like, hmm, if I were to take stock of my life, grace and peace are not two things that would be high on my list of how I would describe myself. Perhaps it's because your relationship with God is not what it should be. Maybe you have, you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, but if you're not growing in grace, right? If you are not experiencing God's grace to encourage you and help you and lift you up and just God's blessings, not in the sense that He may not have made you rich, He may not have healed your body, He may not have done any of those things, but just, boy, God keeps lifting me up. He keeps giving me peace. He keeps helping me through these difficult circumstances. I'm not always flying off the handle and, and losing it and yelling at people, or I'm not always just mad at everything or frustrated. That's probably a good sign that your relationship with God, your knowledge of God is in the right place. And if it's not, and I would say, you know, if I'm honest, <laughs> I'm not perfect. I've got things I need to work on this. It gives me great hope because it gives me an answer to the problem. I need to grow in my relationship and my knowledge of God. So He's not here beating everybody over the head necessarily, but rather challenge him, say, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. That's the idea. It's going to keep growing. It's multiplied more and more and more. How? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So opening words. Words matter, don't they? And what Peter is challenging his listeners, his hearers, the recipients of his letter, they can have the same faith that he had. And they get it, not through themselves, but through Jesus Christ, through God, through the righteousness of God that is in, through Jesus Christ our Lord and His desire that they would have grace and peace as they continue to grow in their knowledge and understanding and experiential relationship with Jesus Christ. I hope that even as we go to the Lord in prayer tonight, we will be exercising the great rights and opportunities that we have as children of God to come before the throne of God. And we need grace to help in time of need, right? That's we get to pray to God and talk to Him. When my prayer life is not what it should be, it's generally because there's something between me and God and my relationship with Him. And it's an opportunity to confess that and make it right and, and think, wow, we get to take this list of things and maybe other things that are on your heart tonight and talk to our Almighty Heavenly Father about it. And He actually cares wants to give grace, he wants to give peace, and we can experience those things as we grow in our relationship with him.